reading is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 to 12. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak evil against you, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Our Old Testament reading is Proverbs 5. You'll be reading it tomorrow, I trust, in your devotion since it's August 5th. Verses 21 to 23. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Sorry you have to hear me twice in one day. If I was on my game, I would have asked David Green to preach this evening. We looked at the doctrine of justification this morning. Let's talk a little bit more about it this evening. The Bible stresses that we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. The passage Rock read from Romans 3 talks about justification by grace. Paul also talks about justification by faith. We receive the grace of Jesus' work by faith. Faith unites us to Jesus Christ. That is actually the goal of your salvation, to be united to Christ. If there's any doubt in your mind, read the first 16 verses of Ephesians 1. All the blessings that accrue to you in the gospel are in Christ, chosen in Christ, sealed in Christ, justified in Christ, you're sanctified in Christ, will be glorified in Christ. By faith, beloved, you have been united to Jesus Christ. Paul's favorite way of describing a Christian is a person who is in Christ. You're a new person. You're no longer the person you were. You were born into this world in solidarity with Adam. You're in solidarity with Jesus. There are actually only two kinds of people in the world. Those who are in union with Adam, in solidarity with Adam, born in sin, slaves to sin, dead spiritually, slaves to the devil and the world, and those who by faith, by God's marvelous transformation, are in union with Jesus Christ. That means there are only two kinds of people in the world. Those in union with Adam are at peace with sin and correspondingly at war with God. The Bible calls them sinners. 
Those who are in union with Jesus Christ are at peace with God and correspondingly at war with sin. The Bible calls them saints. If you have believed the gospel and you're in union with Jesus Christ, what's true of Jesus is true of you. You're an accepted, beloved son or daughter of God. That's next week's sermon. But Romans 6 tells us Jesus has died to sin, you've died to sin. Jesus has risen to life in union with him, you've risen to life. I don't have time to unpack that glorious text. The point I want to make tonight is you have new relationships to everything by virtue of union with Christ. Your relationship to God is different. He's no longer judge, he's father. Your relationship to each other is different. You're now brothers and sisters. Your relationship to Satan is different. You're no longer captive and blinded by him. Your relationship to the world is different. And your relationship to sin is different. Peter told us in this text to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. Your soul is your true you, the saint that you are in union with Jesus, where the Spirit dwells, that new heart he's given you. At war with that is what? Epithemia, that's the Greek word for lusts, for inordinate desires, over-desires. And Peter says, because you have this new identity as the people of God, a royal priesthood, a chosen nation, God's own possession, that's your new identity. With this new identity is a new warfare. Beloved, if you're in Christ, you woke up this morning at war with sin because sin's at war with you. You're not a sinner. You're a saint who struggles with sin. And the definition of a Christian is a person who is now at peace with God and correspondingly at war with sin, and we will battle indwelling sin until the day we die. We are battling sin. Did you think about that when you woke up this morning? Is sin really a foe? Is it a friend, or is it sort of a passing acquaintance? Peter says there in the first Peter 2 text, abstain, present tense, and you know about the Greek present tense. That conveys an ongoing, habitual, non-stop, continuous process. We're constantly abstaining from sin. So I could say to Chris Garrett, how you doing, brother? And he could say, I am struggling with sin all day long. I'd say, me too, brother. That's what Christians do. They abstain, they're at war with fleshly passions which wage war against our souls. It's an ongoing struggle, and I guess the point of the sermon tonight is you're never at rest from this struggle because sin is resisting your desire for righteousness, the good graces God has put in your heart to follow him, to seek him, to honor him, to thank him, to praise him, to love him, to love his people. And this isn't new in the Bible. If you go right back after Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, God says to Cain, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? If you don't, sin is crouching at the door and its desires for you, but you must master it. In a sense, that sets up a question that has to be answered to the rest of the scriptures. Who on this earth can master sin? Only a person in union with Jesus Christ. Only a person indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Only a person who knows by the spoils of Christ's victory, whether Old or New Testament, they are equipped with every grace that when sin comes knocking on the door of their hearts, there is something greater that will rule them. I see the same thing come up in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 28, 14. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, 
But whoever hardens his heart falls in the calamity. Think of hardening your heart as what? Not consciously battling and dwelling sin. And it's fearing the, fearing the Lord always. When are the seasons when you're, likely un, when you're most likely not to fear the Lord? What are the situations? What are the temptations? What are the places you'll give up, give in a little bit to the fight, not be cognizant about this battle? Uh, Proverbs 23, 17, Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all day long. I might start the day great with the fear of the Lord. Sing, worship, read the scriptures, have my heart and mind come under the, under the uh, authority of the word of God. As the day wears, wears on, am I still fearing the Lord? Am I fearing, fearing the Lord into midnight? <laughs> Fear the Lord all the day. And the failure to resist sin gives it a greater grip on your heart. And um, that's the text I just read from Proverbs 5. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare them. He is, he is held fast by the cords of his sin. It's almost as if it, it, the more we give in to sin, the tighter the grip that sin has on our hearts, the harder it is to no, say no to it when we're tempted by it. The cords of sin... Uh, same thing in Proverbs 29.6. An evil man is ensnared by his transgression. It's a trap. But a righteous man sings and rejoices. How many of us, when we've given into sin, are singing and rejoicing? <laughs> How many of you, when you're really singing and rejoicing and focusing on Christ, want to sin? Sin is a trap. And you wonder if the writer of Hebrews hadn't had these kinds of images in mind when he wrote in Hebrews 3, Take care, brothers lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart and falling away from the living God. What do we do about this potential among us? He tells you, exhort one another every day, as long as it is still called today, right? Fear the Lord all the day, that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What does the writer of Hebrews assume? Sin is at war with you. It's trying to harden your heart. And we need each other in the process of encouraging and walking in this battle. It's not just me and Jesus. It's me, Jesus, and all of you helping me. What would hardening look like? It's both passive and active. Passively hardening your heart is not feeding your heart with the graces that keep your heart alive in Christ and hating sin. Or actively giving in to sin, like picking up rose thorns, and your hands get bleeding. When you give in to sin, there's blood to show for it, as it were. So how might you recognize sins encroaching on your heart and hardening it? Let me give you a couple uh, indicators. Coldness of heart toward the Lord. I mean, only you know that. How, how's your, is your heart cold towards the Lord? Is it indifferent? Is it... I love that... Uh, that when Jesus was on the brothers on the road to Emmaus and then he disappeared from them and they made this observation. Did not our hearts burn when he shared the scriptures with us? That might not be your experience every morning reading the word of God, but why not more often than not? Is my heart burning over the truth of God showing me himself and his glory and his word? Is my heart cold towards the Lord? Am I indifferent to the plight of the destitute? 
Do I care about the destitute? Do we care about the unborn? When David and, and uh, Matt and David and I pray Tuesday morning, you're all welcome to join us. We always pray for the persecuted church. Always. It's never far off the radar screen. Does it matter to us? Are you reluctant to part with your resources? Sin would have you hang on for dear life with your resources. Are you slow to offer praise and thanks? Do you feel distant from the Word of God? Okay, sometimes we, sometimes we do. Sometimes we, we feel adrift. Go tell a brother. Go tell a sister. I'm feeling adrift right now. Would you pray for me? I hope there's no condemnation in this church or so over somebody who can confess that and admit that. Do you have a casual attitude towards sin? Do you feel superior to others, critical of them? Do you give in to unabated strong emotions such as fear, anger, and anxiety? These are just some indicators of a hardening of your heart. No wonder Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance. From it flow the springs of life. I'm called to watch over my heart like it's my very existence. The wonderful hymn by Ora Rowan, the hymn writer says this, really raises the question of questions. What can strip the seeming beauty from the idols of the earth? See, that's really the question. What can, well, Thomas Chalmers was a theologian who wrote an article that I read called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And in that article, he said, the only thing that can deliver us from the allure of sin is something more beautiful and more powerful, and that's Christ. So in a sense, Ora Rowan is raising that question. What can strip the seeming beauty from the idols of the earth? Not a sense of right or duty, but the sight of peerless worth. See, somebody comes to you and says, you do better, try harder, clean up your act. That doesn't strip the power of sin from your heart. The sight of peerless worth does. Captivated by his beauty, worthy tribute, haste to bring. Let his peerless worth constrain thee. Crown him now unrivaled king. And something in our hearts says, that's right, that's Jesus. And that's exactly the way Paul gives us our first line of defense in 2 Corinthians 3. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into his image from one degree of glory to another. It's the principle, you become what you look at. Look at Christ, you become transformed into his image. It's the only hope for those of us taking seriously our warfare with sin. Brothers, we've got to see Christ together, privately, in prayer, his word, when you read the Bible, ask God to show you Jesus. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you the beauty, the work, the promises, the strength, the majesty, the humility, the peerless worth of Jesus. Ask that you're shown that until you're smitten by it. And you sense, I desire that more than my sin. We need to hear people tell us what Jesus is doing in their lives. We need to, the sacraments to show us Jesus and we need to study theology about Jesus, just to name a few.
Thank you for my brothers and sisters. Thank you for the desire you put in their hearts to come tonight to worship. I pray that all of us would take so seriously, number one, the glory of who we are in Christ. Once we're not a people. Now the people of God once had not received mercy. Now we've received mercy. Once far off, excluded from the life, life of God, dead in our ignorance serving ourselves only to the end of our own eternal destruction. And you have rescued us from that, Jesus. You've sent your spirit to open our eyes to give us a new heart and new affection and new desires. And now we are, in fact, at war with sin. It's at war against our souls. So heighten the sense of warfare in the hearts of my brothers and sisters and in my own heart. This is not something to be callous, cavalier about. This is the serious work of Christians. We're guaranteed the final outcome. Jesus has assured it. But there are many, many battles to fight until that great day when we will be finished with sin. Jesus, send your spirit to us to help, to inform, to inflame, to strengthen, to give us boldness, prayerfulness, dependence upon you. For apart from you, we can do nothing. We plead in Jesus' name. Amen.